I want to talk to you today about demon possession, demonic possession. And the reason I want to talk to you today is because there's a spate of movies that are out. The Pope's Exorcist, The Exorcist Believer, and Nefarious. So, possession is a serious condition. And there has been some theological debate about who can be possessed. Now, they do say that once you are a believer, you cannot be possessed. Let me explain that. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, that is a house that does not share space with a demon. When God occupies our home, he has no demonic roommates. He doesn't share his space. The devil, however, does not occupy the whole space. He occupies any space, which is why the scripture says, give no place to the devil. It says to submit ourselves to God, James chapter 4, verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You've heard that old adage, give a man an inch and he'll take a mile. Once you open up a little avenue playing with the Ouija board, tarot cards, horoscope, Hindu mysticism, voodooism, the occultic practices, delving into the supernatural. That also applies to drugs, pharmakia in the Greek, sorcery, where we begin the origins of much of man's beginning in science or alchemy. Fooling around with herbs, smokes, woods, bark, mushrooms, and a sundry of various ingredients in nature. In many cases, we could call it spiritual rape, trying to access the sanctuary, the holy of holies, the mind, the spiritual realm in its highest form by force. You know, cheating on a test, skipping grades, paying off the professor or the school, bribing to get the certificate by force, by fiat, not by merit or effort, by character. Demons love to do that. Hence, the story of the power of Satan wanting to exalt his throne, his power, and take over the king's seat. The Roman empress doing the Tetrarch, the four divisions of Rome, were rife with people killing, sleeping with, murdering, kidnapping, devising any way they can to get the reins of power, poisoning, lying, imprisoning. When you're not going by the normal steps to achieve something, and many are more infatuated by the power. In fact, that happened with Eve wanting to access more of the power of the realm and dimension of God's knowledge. Not because God opened himself to her to give she and Adam a greater depth, a deeper knowledge and understanding. No, smoke this and you'll see 
take this psychedelic and you'll see, drink this and you'll see, have a sexual orgy. You know, the gurus and the shamans of India teach that a lot. They have a cult in Ojai, California that teaches that. Hollywood had a lot of that. You want to free yourself, you've got to involve yourself in sexual openness. Open yourself, they always tell you. Have an open mind. Be open to any and everything if you want to see any or everything. Red pill or blue pill or any pill and all the pills combined. Second Corinthians 11, verse 3 to 4 says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion. You know, you did have a sincere interest, didn't you? You were sincerely seeking but you were cunningly deceived by your friends. Well, just do this. This will make you feel better. This will help you see more. Man, this will open up the universe to you. And you, with a sincere mind to seek, you take it. Not realizing it's not enough to sincerely seek. You also have to have the right, have to have the right methodology, the right path to get there. You know, in the Olympic sports and then professional sports, they often are disqualified. Once they found out they won that race, Cycling with steroids, testosterone boosts. They legally won that trophy because they were induced by some enhancement that the other ones were not. So it is clear that there are deceiving spirits. First Timothy 4.1, the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith following deceiving spirits and things that are taught by demons. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. No wonder. For Satan himself disguised, masquerades himself as an angel of light. It's not surprising. Then that if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. 1 John 5, 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. One who was born of God keeps them safe and evil cannot harm them. Matthew 9, 32. While they were going out, a man who was demon possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Not only was he dumb and mute, he was demon possessed. A lot of times our sicknesses, our infirmities are a result, not so much as who sinned, the father, the mother, but that God might be glorified. But that in fact, in other cases, demonically possessed. Most people that are in deep sexual, barbiturate, drug, alcoholic addictions have come to this realm because of an event that opened them up as a child in their early years, either by their parents, their aunt, their uncle, a cousin, a neighbor, a teacher, a friend, a molestation, an abuse and they grow up and that demon locks on to their mind and they grow up and they do the same thing that was done to them and worse. Now the scripture does tell us what happens when a man is cleansed of a demon. First Timothy 4.1 says, the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, that in the abandoning of the faith, people would follow these demons and the things that they teach. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7 says, they must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them. We know that there are satanic 
ritualistic killing, particularly in the Grove in California, northern and central California, infamous, famous for this event, Charlie Manson, the Manson killings in Hollywood, with Sharon Tate and others, was built on this. Ritualistic murders, killing, sacrificing of babies, packs and agreements that are made to achieve power with the devil. He wants blood and no blood better than an innocent lamb. They went from sacrificing goats and innocent lambs and ducks and dogs and pigeons and everything to what better a sacrifice could the devil want than a human baby? God never required it. Ephesians 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. There is evil. And you would be surprised. It doesn't require what many people think, blah, 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 and they're possessed. They can speak perfect Hebrew, perfect English, perfect Italian, perfect Latin, perfect Spanish, perfect German, perfect French, perfect Russian, and are possessed. It's not just gibberish talk. The demons can speak quite well and articulate, and they know the scripture. You remember in James, it says that the demons believe and what? Tremble. Believe and tremble. Matthew 17, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the body and he was healed at that moment. In Luke 4, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon. In the synagogue, I've met my share of people possessed by a demon in the synagogue and it wasn't just a man, it was often the rabbi or the pastor. An impure spirit, he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, Be quiet! Jesus said that sternly, by the way, just the way I did. Come out of him, he said. Then the demon threw that man down before all of them and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He gives order to impure spirits and they come out. He didn't ask the spirit what's its name. He just said, come out of him. The same authority by which he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. So Peter says, be alert, sober minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In Acts chapter 16, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave, listen to this, who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. You guys listen to Coast to Coast, George Norrie. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. You know you've gone to fortune tellers and had some witch grab your head and press it against her breasts with chains and scarves and bells and whistling. She opened your hand and started looking at the lines. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. You see, there are psychics that will tell you they also believe in Jesus. See, the devil loves to mix Jesus in his mess, and Jesus doesn't mix the devil in any of what he does. Finally, Paul became so annoyed 
that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Yeshua, the Mashiach, I command you, come out of her. And at that moment, the scripture says the spirit left her. At that moment. Now that's a very interesting story. Because Paul spoke in the authority. He didn't have a conversation. He didn't have a cup of tea. He didn't do a dance. He didn't hold up a cross and press it against her head. He didn't zap her with water. He spoke the authority of the Holy Ghost. Come out of them. And the spirit came out. But when her owners saw what had happened and that they no longer can make money off of her, they caused Paul to be arrested. They seized him, dragged him to the corner of the market square to face the authorities. They brought him before the magistrates and leaders of the city. These men are causing us to lose our business. A lot of trouble in our city since they are Jews. What they are doing is advocating customs that are against the law for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. The mob joined in the attack against them and the judges tore their clothes off of them and ordered them to be flogged. After giving them a severe beating, they threw them in prison, charging them for a crime, committing a jailer to guard them. Upon receiving such an order, he threw them into the inner cell, clamped their feet securely between heavy blocks of wood. Around midnight, Shaul, Sarah, were praying, singing hymns to God, while the other prisoners listened attentively. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake which shook the prison and the foundations. The doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer awoke, and when he saw the doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he was going to be punished for letting a prisoner go or a prisoner escaping. The Roman law, if a prisoner escaped under your watch, well, then you paid the price. Paul stopped him. Don't harm yourself. We are here. We're not going to escape. Calling for the lights, the jailer ran in. He began to tremble and fell down in front of Shaul. Leading him outside, he said, men, what must I do to be saved? They said, trust in the Lord and you will be saved, you and your household. That was a great night. The next morning, the judges sent police officers with the order, release those men. The jailer told Shaul, the judges have sent word to release both of you, so come out. Now, they didn't escape on their own, which they could have. They stayed with the guard. They stayed in that prison. They saved the guard's life by not escaping. The guard had respect for them for doing so. The guard gave his life to Yeshua. The next morning, the judges released them. See, God has a way of delivering us. I might have thought, well, heck, there's an earthquake. God's opened up my shackles. Come on, boys, let's run. And you would think that. After all, I'm falsely in prison because I'm preaching. Or was I falsely? No, I was rightfully in prison. I came into a city as a Jew practicing the spiritual law of the Torah, coming against a city whose law allowed the practice of sorcery. According to their law, I guess I did stop their business. So I guess I did deserve to be put in jail. But he prayed in jail, sang in jail, and did not complain in jail. And even when he had a chance of getting released, he saw an opportunity. It's kind of like when you are in a restaurant. You get up and you see $100 on the floor. Thank you, Lord. And you walk off, not realizing, did the Lord really give you that? 
maybe the right thing to do is call the waitress over and say, listen, who was at this table before me? Or maybe the waitress dropped it from all the money she keeps in her pockets from table to table. You see it as an opportunity, as a gift to you, when it's really not. Maybe the greater integrity is to say, listen, I want to turn this in to see who might have dropped this, some old lady, and that's all she had. That's the same thing that's happening here with Paul in this jail. He could have justified running and escaping, seeing it as an act of God to escape, but he didn't. And he earned the respect of the Roman guard, or I'm not sure if they were Roman exactly, whichever guard of the city it was. But the jailer, I say Roman only because of the tradition we know what happens when you are incarcerated by a Roman. They would kill themselves if you escaped. So here we are. And he said, don't kill yourself. I'm not running. My shackles are free. The prison doors have been opened, but I'm going to stay right here. I realize I'm still under arrest. And God delivered him his way. Hallelujah. Such integrity. And he went on to minister to that jailer's family. It's amazing what God can do. Now, I'm not so sure the other story comes out so well, if you can recall. It is a story that happened when Peter, one of Peter's disciples, I believe it was Philip, a sorcerer, wanted the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we turn to that? Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. Mm -hmm. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Sounds like Balaam, sounds like Rasputin, sounds like many other people that you know. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Yeshua the Messiah, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles and Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't come just because you believe. You also have to commit yourself to be a follower in order to receive that gift. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Yeshua, the Mashiach. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the hands of the apostles, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Did he care about the spirit or did he care about his own fame? <laughs> Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry 
because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon said, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And yet he's telling him to pray to the Lord, as if that will somehow or another abridge God's law. Pray to the Lord. Well, all you have to do is repent. Many will ask you, pray for me that something bad doesn't happen to me. Well, I can't stop that something bad's going to happen to you. You're going to reap what you sow. If you sow righteousness, you'll reap righteousness. If you sow wickedness, God has a law in place. You're going to reap it. The only thing that can stop that, ask the city of Nineveh. You don't want the wickedness to happen? Pray to God for you to stop? Repent, and it will stop. Turn. Call on the name of the Lord. Hezekiah was prophesied to die. He didn't tell the prophet, pray to God to stop it and not to kill me. He turned and talked to God directly himself. Turned his face to the wall, begged, prayed, pleaded. God says, I've heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer. I'm going to give you 15 more years of life. I'm not going to kill you tonight as I promised I would. I've heard your prayer. I'm reversing the judgment. Who knows? Maybe the Lord will change his mind. But not because I'm praying for you. The Lord wants to hear you repent. And here we are, a man driven by power. We talked about it, the spirit of greed. Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? They sowed land and lied. That's demonic. The greed. 30 pieces of silver to sell someone for money, that's demonic. That's a demonic possession. People that are driven by money are demonically possessed. We see it throughout the Torah. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That's a demon of greed. And then Cain and Abel, the demon of jealousy. Demonic power, a position to take over a company, to kill someone or frame someone, to take a job or to get the insurance policy off your ex, your wife, your husband, even your child. The lust of money, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. People have killed parents in California to take their teenage daughter that they were lusting after. Teenage daughters have helped their boyfriends kill their mothers and fathers when the mother and father would not allow them to date. The demon of sexual deviancy, that's a demon. And rather it's porn or rape or promiscuity. That is a demon with an insatiable appetite that cannot be satiated, satisfied. There's a hunger and thirst after wickedness that cannot be filled as opposed to a hunger and thirst after righteousness and you shall be filled. God can fill the soul. The devil can't. It's a bottomless pit. That's why you keep turning to that bottle. 
You keep putting that cigarette in your mouth. That's why you can't keep your eyes from the girls in the grocery store line or your neighbor's daughter or the pastor's wife or the worship singer with the bleached blonde hair and the blouse cut low while she's singing about Jesus. That's why, father, priest, that altar boy, you've got to get in a closet alone. You have an insatiable appetite. It cannot be filled. Demonically possessed. Matthew chapter 12. Then some people brought him a man controlled by demons who was blind and mute. And Yeshua healed him so that he could both speak and see. The crowds were astounded and asked, This couldn't be the son of David, could it? But when the Prushim, the Pharisees, heard of it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, that this man drives out demons. However, knowing what they were thinking, Yeshua said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not survive. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. So how can his kingdom survive? Besides, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can someone break into a strong man's house and make off with his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? After that, he can ransack his house. Those who are not with me are against me, and those who do not gather with me are scattering. Because of this, I tell you that people will be forgiven any sin and blasphemy, but blaspheming the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven. One can say something against the Son of Man and be forgiven, but whoever keeps on speaking against the Ruach HaKodesh will never be forgiven, neither in this world nor the next one. Now, let's talk about that because many have been confused by that verse, but in context from reading it, what's happening here? What's happening is that they were attributing the work of God to the work of the devil. Here, God is doing a work, setting a man free who was basically controlled, doesn't say possessed. So there's an understanding that there's a difference in possession and oppression. It said that the Lord healed this man and drove the demon out that was controlling him. So there is a situation often that demons can inflict ailments, physical sickness, though they do not possess your soul, your heart, they have oppressed your body. And there are healings that have to be done by driving the demon that's causing you to be deaf or mute or whatever the condition might be. They can be as a result of a demonic oppression, control in your life. And they attributed this to the devil. The man is healed. The man can speak. 
the man is no longer blind and they think the devil did it. The devil's not in the business of trying to save you from your pains and your ills, particularly when those pains or ills are directly a result of some demonic influence. So the Lord went on to explain that this is the work of God and you're calling the work of God the work of the devil, that it was the devil that delivered Israel after over 200 years of slavery in Egypt. It was the devil that parted the Red Sea. It was the devil that caused manna and water to flow from a rock. Now you're giving the devil the credit? You're attributing the work of God as the work of the devil on the same level? That is the unpardonable sin, the unforgivable. That, he says, is not allowed. Yeah, because they weren't talking specifically about him, but about the work that he has done. He made that comment, those who say it against the Son of Man might be forgiven should they repent. But it wasn't him that they criticized, but the work and the evidence the testimony of the Holy Spirit that it rebuked and exorcised that demon. And many people still do it today, especially in Israel. All of those Pharisees that we've met on all of our trips, they don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. They call us demons when we come and rebuke them for being unholy, for raising up statues, for having a place called Sarah's Tent, while promoting pictures of Tel Aviv and the United States of America, all those godless places, we rebuked them and he called us the demon. Well, they called Jesus the devil. Uh, the righteous man will be called the wicked man by the wicked man because to the wicked man, the righteous man is evil. So they will say all manner of evil against you. But so persecuted the prophets which were before you, Yeshua said. If they did this to the master, what do you think they're going to do to the servant? And the whole point that he makes there, to your point, he says to them, if you make a tree good, its fruit will be good. And if you make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. If you raise a child and make him good, he'll be good. If you raise a child in the Lord, if you don't, he'll be bad. And by the way, speaking of children, you know, another great source of indoctrination and possession is that stupid box that you indoctrinate your children with. You know, I thought about it earlier. I thought, what is this thing called children's movie? See, that's an oxymoron because by definition, children should not watch movies. Children should not even have a television set. Children should be walking with their father, taught by their father, not be indoctrinated by the stupid box. And yet, they watch all of this Sesame Street and Spongebob and Disney fairy tales. And by the time they get some reason, they're already so indoctrinated. So they take God, whatever they learned in Sunday school, and all of those fairy tales and, and Little Mermaid and Harry Potter, and they throw all of it on the same shelf of just fairy tales that they learned as children. And that's why so many of our children have gone astray. Fathers give commands... The mothers should be teaching at home. And in earlier generations, the mothers did teach their children. 
the mothers did read to their children. Most homeschooled children are homeschooled by their mothers. You know, fathers lead and teach in life. It says to take your children in the marketplace. But mothers are the nurturing teacher. Proverbs 31, King Lemuel's mother. When you don't have a mother teaching you, a father giving you leadership and commands and teaching in the real world, and the mother's teaching you in the home, in the nurturing sense, you will go off track. You need holy mothers nurturing, teaching you at home. You need holy fathers walking and showing you and teaching you in the street. And without it, you'll be taught by another sorcerer. Television, social media, TikTok, Facebook, athletes, actors, musicians, politicians, and dare I say it, religious gurus and shamans, not just in India and the mystics, but the ones in your synagogue and the ones in your churches, because they were not meant to raise your children. That was not the job of the rabbis and the pastors. That was the job of daddy and mommy. And when we do that, we go off track. So you're absolutely right. Jesus calls them snakes. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what overflows from the heart. You know, it's hard to take anybody serious who does not know the Lord because they speak from an inceptious heart, an aseptic heart. So what comes from their heart and their mouth isn't rooted in the Holy Spirit. And even people who mean well will speak wrong. The root of their words does not come from God. From out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The good person brings forth good things from his store of good. And the evil person brings forth evil things from his store of evil. When I was looking for Pesach cookies, they were not in the mouth of the store, but out of the abundance of the heart, the warehouse, the stomach from which everything comes, that then gets on the mouth, which are the shelves and the racks. Out of the abundance of the warehouse, the store sells. The store speaketh. If it's not on the shelf, well, it's not in the stomach. But whatever's in that stomach is, in that, is on that shelf. You got to go to the source, dig down to the abundance of the stomach and find out it, what's in there. And when you find that it's there, you can bring it out. They bought it out. It came out. And I got four or six packs of those Pesach cookies because out of the abundance of the heart. We went to other places. They didn't have it in the heart. They didn't have it in the stomach. Therefore, they didn't have it in the shelf. But the ones that had it in the stomach, it came out on the shelf. Moreover, he says, moreover, I tell you this. On the day of judgment, people will have to give account for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words, you are acquitted by your words, you will be condemned. You know, when a cop arrests you, he says, you have the right to remain silent. You have a right to remain silent. The words that you use could be held against you. You go before the Congress, Trump did, before the court, I plead the fifth. You don't have to incriminate yourself, but you do. The proverb says, we often think of a fool 
Even a fool is thought wise if they don't speak. Why did you speak? You incriminated yourself. I thought you were wise, but you opened up your mouth and removed all doubt that you are a fool. We incriminate ourselves. As the saying goes, God is in heaven, I am on earth. Therefore, let my words be few. In fact, let your words not be spoken at all. Amen. Amen. For most of us, my mother often said, there's a reason God gave you one mouth and two ears. We should spend more time listening than speaking. And when we do speak, we should carefully, like a lawyer or a witness on a stand, be very careful with the words we use and consider them before they come out of our mouth. Oftentimes, in a spate of anger, we say what we did not really intend. We say what we felt, but what we did not intend. We don't give right thought to the logic of our words. We speak from an emotional passion, and that emotion causes a commotion. But we don't take the time to use our words correctly. We will say something that we shouldn't have said. And... A moment of anger. Which, by the way, a moment of anger, meaning you lose control. See, you give up your control to the emotion and that demon that cannot wait to get a hold of you. Right. And there are people that are controlled by that demon all the time. We all know people who speak in anger all the time, like this man, just controlled by that demon. There are other of us, they come in real quick, like a, like a mosquito, or like a fly, or like a wasp. And we had a momentary lapse of judgment. The demon doesn't control us, but once in a while, he does a, a drive-by, a hit and run. Before you know it, you've honked your horn and gave the middle finger, and you said something you shouldn't have said. It's not, you're not controlled by it, but uh, you have moments where that demon gets a few seconds, and all he needs sometimes is a few seconds for us to lose our life. And that's why we really have to have the Torah written on our heart. Because if we truly have it fully written on our heart, there is no speck, there's no space for the demon to get a hold of us. Because you are constantly in control with the Torah. You are living it out naturally. It's who you are. So the demons cannot get a hold of you. Well, that takes discipline. What we talked about before. That's the discipline, the routine. It takes work. This isn't easy. Brush and floss, brush and floss, stretch and bend, stretch and... It takes work. It's not easy. It's not a one time. It's a daily, a daily. And sometimes we miss the mark. But it takes work. It takes work. You have to constantly be aware of what you're texting, what you're saying. And... When the devil has his way, don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry. Don't be afraid to repent. Don't be afraid. Don't let the devil hit the ego and the pride, the shame. It's okay. Be shamed. Be humiliated. It's okay. Let that happen to make it right. I believe David said, when I was right, I was wrong, that peace might abide. Sometimes you, you know you're right, and sometimes you have to give up that right just to keep the peace. And, and the bully on the playground, you know you're right, but sometimes you have to keep your mouth shut and, and de-escalate the situation. That's why he tells you in verse 37, by your words you will be acquitted. By your words you will be condemned. Give an account 
for every careless word that we have spoken. He went on to talk to them in the next verse that this, some of the Torah teachers said, Rabbi, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He replied, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign? <laughs> no. No, none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the depths of the earth. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the day of judgment with this generation and they will condemn it. For they turned from their sins to God when Jonah preached. But what is here now is greater than Jonah. The queen of the south will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Shlomo. But what is here now is greater than Shlomo. You know, for a lesser sign, people have repented. With no miracle, people have repented. Some have come to the Lord without having fireworks, without seeing someone levitate, without seeing someone healed, without seeing an apparition or a glowing angel, they came because it was enough to know that they acknowledged their sin. They didn't need a miracle. They didn't need proof. They didn't need to search for the lost ark or the tabernacle and find it. They didn't need that. They had the faith to believe. Better to believe and have not seen than to believe because you've seen. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it travels through a dry country. Seeking rest, it does not find it. That's the opening of the movie Constantine. Then it says to itself, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house empty, swept clean, put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, legion. And they come and they live there so that in the end, the person is worse off than he was before. This is how it will be for this wicked generation. You know, my friend, how many people have we seen only gotten worse? And in our own lives, things that we've struggled with, we thought we were delivered from, and it only got worse. It's one thing to stop drinking, to cast the devil out. It's another thing to keep the devil out. And the only way you can keep the devil out is to change the lock on the doors and put in some new furniture. Put in a new roommate. So when the devil knocks on the door, is my room still vacant and free? Sorry. Someone else lives there now. Oh, shucks. Is that girl still available? Are you still free since we broke up? Oh, no, I have a new boyfriend now. And he put a ring on my finger. I'm about to be married. Sorry. Your luck's out. And so spiritually, we see that, don't we? In the book of Luke, we talk about that great story. The story of the pigs. One day... Yeshua got into a boat with his Talmidim, his disciples, and said to them, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they were sailing, 
he fell asleep. A windstorm came down on the lake. This is the Kinneret, by the way, the Sea of Galilee. So that the boat began to fill up with water, putting them in great danger. It's a very similar story to the story of Yonah. They went and woke him, saying, Rabbi, Rabbi, we're about to die. He woke up, rebuked the wind and the rough water, and they calmed down so that it was still. Then he said to the Talmudim, Where is your trust? Astruck, they marveled, asking one another, Who can this be that he commands even the wind and the water and they obey him? They sailed on and landed in the region of the Garcines, which is opposite the Galil. As Yeshua stepped ashore, a man from the town who had demons came to meet him. For a long time he had not worn clothes, and he lived not in a house, but in the burial caves. Catching sight of Yeshua, he screamed, fell down in front of him and yelled, Yeshua! Son of God, Ha'elion, the Most High God, what do you want with me? I beg you, don't torture me. See, the demons already knew. It's the disciples who don't. <laughs> They're on the boat. They don't know who he is. They come to the demon. The demon screams, You are the son of the living God. <laughs> For Yeshua had ordered the unclean spirit to come out of the man. It had often taken hold of him. He had been kept under guard, chained, hand and foot, but had broken the bonds and been driven by the demon into the desert. Yeshua asked him, What is your name? Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. They begged Yeshua not to order them to go off into the bottomless pit. Now, there was a herd of many pigs feeding on the hill, and the demons begged him to let them go into this. So he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, whereupon the herd rushed down the hillside into the lake and were drowned. When the swine herds saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the town and in the country, and the people came out to see for themselves. They came to Yeshua and found the man out of whom the demons had gone, sitting dressed and in his right mind at the feet of Yeshua. And they were frightened. Ah, those who had seen it told how the formerly demonized man had been delivered. The, the demons, they did not want to get out of the man. But more than that, they did not want to be cast out to the bottomless pit, the lake of fire, hell. And Yeshua knowing that it is not yet their time, sent them and gave them permission to possess the pigs. Because demons, they have no form, they have no shape, they are spirits. And spirits has to possess something in order to have a form. Now, given the spirits want a human host, but given that Yeshua was there, and exorcised them out of that man, which, by the way, it was them. It was a group of demons, not just one. That's why he said legion, many demons, because you know how they are. If you ever had a nasty roommate, you know that nasty roommates love company. 
You get one nasty roommate, before you know it there's two of them, then there's three. They tend to multiply. So the demons multiplied inside of that man. And Yeshua, like I said, knowing it's not yet time for judgment, told them, go, possess those pigs. And the demons possessed them, but the pigs, knowing what had happened, feeling the possession, feeling the demons, they just lost their mind and ran into the water to kill themselves. And don't we see that? We see that in homeless people on Skid Row. People have walked out. You see the people screaming at the bus stop, yelling, flailing their hands, waving, kicking themselves, spitting and foaming at the mouth. And you say they're mentally ill. No, they're possessed. We talked about that. We were approached by two possessed men, the same demon, by the way, months apart from two different trips to Israel. The same demon showed up twice. First, it showed up at the hotel out of everyone, ran up to me. Eyes bulging, face bloodshot, almost speaking in a blabbering tongue. The second one on a train, dripping, sweating, looked like it had been in a waterfall. Both cases. Demons know. Demons can see and demons know. And as you say, they do love company. Misery loves company. There was a story not too long ago, maybe a couple of years, three years, some Canadian girl, she was Asian, but from Canada, who went down to LA, stayed at that haunted hotel in around Skid Row, and they found her sometime later dead in the water tank of that hotel. They claimed that she killed herself, but, you know, they had some security footage from the elevators, from the cameras, and you could see that she was just nuts. And they said she went crazy, she took some drugs, but in all truth, (laughs) she must have gotten possessed by some demons, and the demons made her throw herself into that water tank, which is really not, not much different than the movie Constantine. If you've seen that movie, then you know what I'm talking about. Demons will make you kill yourself. They will make you go crazy. They will. They will make you kill people. A cop once came in on a man who was foaming and screaming. When they saw him, he was on the floor. His back was to the cops. But his hands were bloodied and he was digging into some meat. They didn't realize what he was digging into was the body of a baby, tearing it apart with his bare hands. Demons are real. Now, those may seem to some of you listening as extreme stories, but I can't tell you how so many of you, you don't even realize just how bad off you are, how possessed and controlled so many of us are by demons, which is why you have that insatiable, unquenchable thirst and appetite that cannot be satiated. No matter how many steaks you buy, how many women you flirt with, how many altar boys, how many cannabis, hash, turd drops, you can't get enough. There's not enough sports. There's not enough jumping off of waves on a surfboard. There's not enough squirrel jumping off of mountains. You cannot be satisfied. You can't travel enough. 
You can't take enough vacations. And for some of you, you can't work enough. There's not enough hours in the week for you to make more money. Another stock yield. You are driven. And you think it's okay. It's called a functional possessed man, a functional addict. See, there's some, they're no different than you. They're on skid row, but they are the same as you. You're just in a penthouse possessed with your demon. They're on a tent on a dirty street, but you are the same, possessed and driven. Can't stop, no peace, no rest, because you're controlled by a demon. In the book of Acts, chapter 19. Shaul, Rabbi Paul, went into the synagogue, and for three months he spoke out boldly, engaging in dialogue and trying to persuade people about the kingdom of God. But some began hardening themselves and refusing to listen. Eh, sounds like my grandpa. And when this started defaming the way before the whole synagogue, Shaul withdrew, took the disciples with him, and commenced holding daily dialogues in Tyrannus Yeshiva, which is a seminar for Jewish people. It's a uh, Orthodox Jewish seminar. They went on for two years, so that everyone, both Jews and Greeks, living in the province of Asia, heard the message about the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Shaul. For instance, handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were brought to sick people. They would recover from their ailments and the evil spirits would leave them. See, just like that woman that just said, if only I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. It's the faith, just the faith. See, God can do miracles through any and everything. It's not Shaul, it's not his name, it's not his presence. Like you, you people always go to those healing sermons, all those, you know, Simon the Sorcerers. Simon was not something back in the day. You have all of those healing churches nowadays that don't glorify God, but glorify themselves. They have something called a healing service. Where is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Torah? And then after they do it, they get a donation, right? They pass on those baskets for the tithes and offerings. Huh. It's just like Simon. You want to get paid for the healing when it's not even your power that does it. Now, given God does use them, and heal some people along the way. But then again, God uses everything. So just because you're being used by God is no reason for you to be so arrogant and prideful as if you're something special. Well, remember in the scripture, there was the general who was leprous and he wanted to get healed. He couldn't. And he was coming down with leprosy. And his servant girl knew about the prophet Elijah. And she told him, I know a man down by the Jordan, the Jordan. I know a man, man of God. He can heal you. What did the general do? What he knew to do. He got his checkbook ready, his caravan. He came down. He was a powerful man. Came down in this province of the region, went to him, and he was prepared to buy his healing. 
came with $2 million, the equivalent of $2 million. These faith healers, they would love for you. In fact, Evander Holyfield, the famous boxer, worth tens and tens of millions, got duped the same way by a faith healer in Florida who has a multi-television network worldwide and was raking in the money. This man offered to give the prophet $2 million. The prophet said, be cursed with that. You think you can buy the power of God like Simon the sorcerer? It's no different than Simon the sorcerer came later. You think I'm here to market God like the Catholic Church did with indulgences? And the Jewish synagogues do for the high holy days, bidding off things for the money in the temple? No. Just go there and take a bath in that dirty water <laughs> that you call dirty. He didn't call it dirty. Take a bath in the Jordan River. You'll be healed. The general was offended. I'm a prestigious man. I'm a wealthy man. I'm here to buy my healing. Give me what I want. I got $2 million. Surely you value the money. Who's going to turn down healing me for $2 million? Nope. You want to get healed? Go dip in the Jordan. I'm out of here. You are nuts. You're crazy. He should have thought to himself, my God, the man that's going to reject $2 million, he must be the real McCoy. It's the opposite. That's why a lot of these ministries are so successful. I don't ask people. I let them know from time to time, just a few, if there's a need. I don't beg. I don't do a show. I don't do a dance. Sometimes I say nothing at all, and a check comes in the mail. I go and talk to God about it. Very few people know my financial situation, but God always knows it. And many times my situation isn't resolved because I've told anybody. Sometimes I've told nobody, but God spoke to somebody and put my name on their heart. Support this man of God. He needs a check. And I can't tell you if it's happened a hundred times, it's happened 200 times. It would be the exact number that I needed at the exact time. But when we trust in our manipulation to try to get people to help, trust in our manipulations to fake healing, trust in our manipulations to fake people actually being delivered that are not being delivered, you'll have hell to pay. Trust in the Lord. The servant Gal pleaded with the general. No, no, no. No, she said. Please, I beg you. I beg you, master, please. I know this is a man of God, master. Please, master, no, no. He is, he's legit, he's real. Is this such a big thing? He just asked you to jump in the Jordan River. He said, why would I jump in the Jordan River? The river back in my town is clean and pristine. It's beautiful. you telling me I'm going to get healed by jumping in a dirty river? I come all the way here to jump in your dirty river when I've got the best river in my city? Please, master, she said. Is it such a big thing to jump in the water here? You are a great man. She starts stroking his, his ego. You know, women are wise and know how to manipulate for the right reasons when they're holy. All women have that power. They should use it for holiness, not for wickedness. I know you women think I put you down. I don't. 
You have a power that God has given you. The problem is, is when you're using it for evil. We all can use our power for good or evil. Rather, it's our ability to speak, our ability to persuade or sway, but use it for holiness. Use your money for holiness. Use your gift for God's purposes. Else the devil's going to use it for his. And she starts using that feminine voice to sway him to righteousness, to righteousness. A good woman can make a good man better and a bad man good. My master, if the prophet had said, go conquer an army, truly you would have done it. You are a great warrior. Truly you would have done it. Is this such a big thing to you, master, to simply go in that water? Go in the water. It's a small thing he asked. And he listened to her. Yeah, that was Second Kings chapter 5. See, Esther did that. She used her beauty for holiness. She used her beauty and her favor for the righteousness. Instructed and counseled by her uncle Mordecai. You women, you have beauty. You have skills. Use it for God. Else the devil's going to use it. Well, he got in that water and he got healed. He got in the water and he got healed. It's a small thing. It's a small thing. You guys put too much premium on money. You think you've done so much for God because of some amount of money you've given. Never do that. Never do that. That makes you wicked. There is no amount of money that's ever too small or too big. It's nothing. It is a tool that God uses. And whatever amount is needed, give it. No matter how small the amount or how large the amount. Stop putting a premium on your money, on your yacht, on your boat, on your house, on your shoes, on your clothes, on your makeup. Put the premium on your soul. Else you're controlled by the devil, if not in most cases, possessed by the devil. See, he said in that verse, Paul I know, Jesus I know, but who are you? And the spirit possessed that man. Some of you have tried to talk and speak in the authority of God that you do not have. You have no protection and no shield because you do not walk in the spirit. Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You're trying to claim a covering that you do not have. Protection that you do not have. Because your heart and your tongue is not tamed. Or trained. And the Ruach HaKadosh doesn't hold the reins. So we've got loose tongues, loose minds, and a loose heart. So on that verse about the general that was just given. You see, when we have a fear of God, when we have a fear of God, no weapon formed against us can prosper. The devil cannot do anything. My grandmother used to say, if God before you, it's more than a whole world against you. God is our shield and buckler. He's our help in time of need. 
It's not 911 or 785,400 It's not the U.S. Army. David found that out about numbering his army. God is our defender. God is our protector, Adonai. He's our keeper. He's our high priest. He's our Kohen Hagadol. He's our Melchizedek. He's our Eheron. He's our Moshe. He's our deliverer. He's our savior, kinsman, redeemer. He's our life giver, our intercessor, our mediator, our judge, our lawyer, and our proxy. He took it so we don't have to. He bore it so that we would have the strength to. He endured it to show us he could take us through. In the book of James, it reads, But someone will say, You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is dead? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Yitzchak on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And that's what Jesus said many times. He said, what? Your faith has made you whole. It's Abraham's faith was counted for him for righteousness. Your faith has made you whole. You said it earlier. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. She wasn't even talking to Jesus. And Jesus didn't talk back to her. Basically, he perceived, he said, the virtue, leave his body. Now, if you know the Jewish tradition, we won't get into it because we want to stay on point with our message. What the hem of the priestly robe represented, the healing was in the hem of the garment. That's what it represented. She touched the hem of the priestly garment that he wore and she was healed. She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. There's an old song, Rabbi, that I haven't sung for years. Oh, he touched me and all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Oh, it is Jesus. Oh, it is Jesus. It is Jesus in my soul. For I have touched the hem of his garment. And his blood has made me whole. Oh, it is Jesus. Oh, it's Yeshua. 
It's Yeshua in my soul, for I have touched the hem of his garment, and that faith has made me whole. You see, the demons you said fear and tremble. And yet we know people in our own family, in our jobs, in our community, who have no fear of God. Your demons saw Jesus coming and they were in fear and trembling. Humans have no fear and no tremble at God. Just at the, the name of God, the demons. The human, no fear, no tremble of God. And that goes for those who do not believe in God and for those who claim to be teaching the word of God. Amen. Amen. Demon possession. Demon possession can manifest in so many ways. And it's not just the Hollywood version of the exorcists and nefarious and the Pope's exorcists and Constantine. Demon possession manifests in so many ways. It's not always somebody whose eyes are bloodshot red or glowing green. It might be somebody who's clean cut and clean in a nice suit or a nice dress. They might even smell good. They don't always come up like they did at the hotel and on the train, dripping with water, bulging and speaking in a babbling tongue. They come like a snake at the tree, cunning, like better call Saul, slick and slivering tongue, like a salesman that you just want to take a shower after having negotiated with. They come in many forms, and a lot of them, they come from our history, our homes, our mothers, our fathers, our grandfathers, our generational curses. They come from the videos, the video games, the porn at the end of the bottle, at the end of a needle, from inhaling or smoking, from violence or having been abused or molested. They come in violence. They come in power and greed and corruption. And they are here to do one thing, tear your flesh apart and eat you alive and destroy your eternal spirit. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And those of you who are struggling, what are you going to do about it? Repent. Since he 
My own. 